Hi, and welcome to the Back to Vat podcast. My name is George, and I'm sat here with the Back to Vat team, Professors Cal McLennan and Adam Cunningham, Joe Dean and Susan Pope. And today we're going to be talking at you over the potted history of Back to Vat, why and how it started, and what has got us to where we are today. So, Cal, welcome to the podcast. Do you want to kick off by telling us why and how Back to Vat was started? Yes, yeah, certainly, George. So, back in... 2016, I'd uh, recently come back from working in industry, in the vaccine industry, and uh, I seem to remember you uh, being involved in uh, putting a call out uh, for vaccine networks. Um, This was going to be an initiative from the different research councils, including the Medical Research Council, where you were working at the time as part of something called the GCRF, the Global Challenges Research Fund. And you organised a meeting in London in November 2016 and asked me to uh, to give a talk at that. Um, and during the meeting, introduced the concept that uh, the research councils, including MRC and BBSRC, were wanting to support the founding of a, a number of vaccine-specific networks um, and really to then get calls from participants to put these networks together. There were some similar networks that had been set up already and uh, in the morning someone from one of those networks gave a talk and um, uh, I think at that point it became clear the enormity of the task of setting up a network and and quite interestingly after lunch there were only half as many people left because half had run away um, but uh, looking at the time of things uh, I was I could get my myself involved with and I, I had got a position at the University of Oxford but still had a position at the University of Birmingham I got together with Adam Cunningham who I'd been collaborating with while at industry um, and Andy Pollard from Oxford and we basically worked together on the idea of a bacterial vaccine network Now, the reason for this was that there really did seem to be a gap in the market as such in terms of networks for bacterial vaccines. At the time, Ebola was big news. Um, The UK government under David Cameron had poured £120 million into outbreak pathogens. CEPI had been set up, the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness. Um, uh, But there seemed to be this lack of uh, any attention being given to bacterial diseases which were causing a high level of attrition with millions of deaths, um, but they were happening very much silently. They were very much affecting children in low- and middle-income countries um, and, and weren't getting the news that they really deserved. Added to that, there was the growing problem that we were all becoming increasingly aware of, of antimicrobial resistance. And so... Essentially, we used that lack of attention on bacterial vaccines, the problem that there was a really big need in terms of the overall global mortality or morbidity and the growing problem of antimicrobial resistance as the reason to try and bring together a network of different players who are involved in various different aspects of vaccinology from academia, from industry, from from the UK and other high-income countries and also low- and middle-income countries with a whole diversity of skills such as bacteriology, immunology, public health, etc. into one network. And that that was the, the concept idea. So essentially, Adam, um, myself and Andy Pollard sat down and, and got to work with this in terms of putting an initial application together. 
So Adam, talk us through about the application. How did Back to Back come into being and how much funding did you initially apply for? So the first um, round of application was actually a relatively short submission, which was identifying what we really, really wanted to do. And uh, um, with that was basically uh, the bringing together of, of the major themes. The first one was that we really wanted to push for catalyst project funding. And what this allows us to do is, is bring people who've never worked together, bring them into the same room, get them to uh, identify an unmet need, deliver <coughs> um, a, uh, get, get a modest amount of funding, to make some uh, have some preliminary findings, so that when they go for for more substantial funding, they've got proof of concept. They've got they've shown that they can work together as a team. They've shown how they can deliver, and then they can reassure funding councils that further investment would be a wise investment. On top of that, there was training. Uh, we also wanted to fund some training uh, awards, which would allow people to who've got un specific unmet needs, like the need for a new technology or a technique or uh, idea exchange, but but for a relatively short period of time, <coughs> that we would be able to uh, provide funds for them to travel from one person to go to another lab to uh, address this. And then the third area, which is which is in some way is is this is the softer. Uh, influence uh, of of uh, um, uh, about the back to back network, but in many ways, it's we're finding it's 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 where, where the bigger amongst the biggest gaps are in, uh, for us to, to contribute is in the advocacy in in both helping people understand why we need uh, vaccines, where vaccines can help, and, and a really obvious area is in, the, is in the challenge of antimicrobial resistance, but also allowing people who don't normally uh, encounter, um, uh, for instance, academics who, who, uh, who have this type of view, uh, allow the <coughs> access and discussion with those individuals. And I'm thinking as well in, in Parliament and, and in areas like that. So then, of course, the uh, are really two really important things to to consider are what would we the network be called, and also how much money would we apply for. So then, of course, the really big thing, uh, two big areas that we need we needed a name and we needed uh, a, an envelope of of cash and how much we'd apply for. And the the name came from Andy Pollard and it was Bactivac, and the amount that we applied for was two point two million. In the first, uh, in the first instance, so then after that application w went through, we we were uh, um, shortlisted to the final round, and then we went down to um, uh, London to get interviewed. So, Cal, talk us through what happened with the application. So the application got shortlisted. So there was initial triage, and at that point, um, the application had been going in through Oxford, but only two were allowed to go in from one institution. Uh, but I had dual affiliation both with Oxford and with University of Birmingham, um, where Adam was based. Uh, and so given that uh, that two were going from Oxford anyway, uh, what, at that point we then decided to put the application in through University of Birmingham. Um, and I'm a professor here along with Adam. Uh, and one of the things that I think was appealing to the Medical Research Council and to the whole process was that this was then uh, an application coming in, not just from somewhere else, but somewhere outside the Golden Triangle of Oxford, Cambridge, London, uh, which attracts so much and wins so much of the funding throughout uh, UK funding bodies um, 
for research activities. So I think that was a plus in its own right as well. Um, and so we moved on with that. Um, that was uh, uh, all well and good. And I seem to remember at that point, you also um, accepted a position at University of Birmingham. So with the uh, the frantic activity of working up the application to submission, uh, you were actually very helpful in terms of Indeed. putting effort into yeah. uh, into making that happen. It was, um, I do remember some late nights in the office working on that application. And I do remember feeling quite proud of it when it went in I felt like it was a strong application so I was very happy when you guys were invited to interview I also knew that it was going to take a lot to get back to back actually off the ground and to that end we had costed in uh, project manager um, administration support advocacy support and so this is where I'm going to introduce Joe and Susan um, Joe do you want to just give us a brief um, intro on what is it that you're doing for the back for the network um, yes, yeah, so my name is Jo and I'm the operations manager for Back to Back. So I came on board, I think around the time that Cal and Adam heard that they were successful. I think it's fair to say that you, you looked at each other and thought, right, we've got the funding. How are we going to get this network underway? And um, they approached me and asked me to help. Um, get things started. I was um, doing a quite a similar uh, development role within the Institute of Microbiology and Infection at the time. Um, so I helped them set up the network and start to get the team on board. Um, and that's when we recruited Susan, who's sat here right next to me, and also Evelina, who's currently on maternity leave, so is not here today. Um, but it really was about getting the right people at the start because there was an enormous amount of work to do. Uh, not least getting members on board, just sorting out everything that the network's all about. And this is where Susan was really instrumental because of her experience in membership organisations. So Susan, do you want to say a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. I'd, um, my experience has been with the Royal College of Physicians of London and that being um, a membership organisation, it would enable me to bring skills to Back to Back. I was looking for a change and a challenge and Back to Back has given both of those in abundance. Um, so it, it was an exciting thing to do to actually start, start up a membership organisation, ensuring the governance, the structure, the, the equality and everything to do with that with the enabling people to contact us feel free to contact us join us how they do that it was it was a very challenging time because the speed at which we were having to get get running with everything and um we've, we've certainly tried our best i think you've done a great job so who was the first network member and how has the membership grown well, the first member was actually somebody from University of Birmingham, one of the professors here, Tim Mitchell, was the first member. Uh, since then, it's, uh, it's just been a very, a very fast, fast-paced growth. We've now got 962 members across many, many countries, and it, we keep having membership applications, which we love to get. Yeah, thinking back to the initial aims of the network to connect people across different sectors in vaccines research, how is the membership supporting applications from people in industry? Um, yes, I mean, industry are a very, very important part of our membership. Uh, we currently have 13% uh, of our membership are from industry. 
Uh, we've grown that quite steadily since we started out in 2017. I think one of the key things has been to have industry representation on our board so they that they have a, a voice and we understand their viewpoint. And uh, we've also uh, grown it just through, as, as Adam was saying, advocacy is so important. It's about going out there, speaking to people, and it's back-to-back is more of a movement, really, and people want to join the party. And it really is about bringing together all the different groups of individuals because collectively that's how we're going to make things happen. That's how we're going to develop vaccines. Brilliant. And how has the funding grown? So you had an initial 2.2 million awarded in 2017, but I understand since then you've had significant investment from other sources. Yes, that's uh, that's been another key aspect of the network. One of our, our key aims is obviously to uh, leverage funding. Uh, in terms of direct funding to the network, we, we were very fortunate to get some support from the Department of Health and Social Care, so DHSC, who have what they call the GAMRIF program, which is the Global AMR Innovation Fund. And their focus is obviously on AMR. And this is going back to 2018 was when we finally signed uh, the contract for an additional £1 million. Um, And uh, as well as that, and this is linking back to the industry side, is that we um, also were awarded an extra £600,000 from the Industry Strategy Challenge Fund, so the ISCF. And again, these two pots of money, so the 1.6 million combined, really helped us to to grow our portfolio of catalyst projects uh, with the ISCF funding uh, being prioritised more for industry led or with industry involvement um, and the uh, GAMRIF uh, DHSC funding being more on with a, an AMR focus. So it's been great to get these funding streams where we adapt as a network to be able to accommodate the uh, what the funding streams have been awarded for. That's brilliant. And so a lot of the money from these the, the extra funding has funded some catalyst projects. So Cal, do you want to talk us through um, how do we manage the catalyst project funding and what are the sort of propo- uh, projects that we funded through this money? Yes, yeah, so really the catalyst funding is to make advantage of the fact that the network is bringing together players from different parts of the whole bacterial vaccinology field. And so the idea with catalyst funding is to award small pots of funding, typically £50,000, to uh, a new collaboration that's been set up through the Back-to-Back network to allow that collaboration to start doing work, to start a project that would then be in a strong position to apply for competitive funding at a substantive level, much higher than the £50,000 that's been used, hence the name Catalyst for that. And so in terms of the funding for that, what we're looking at particularly is uh, involvement from low middle income countries, involvement for industry as well, but always along the mission of accelerating bacterial vaccines along the pathway from um, initial conception through to um, licensure and introduction. In terms of who's been funded by it for that, we've had a whole range of fundees from industry, from academia, even from WHO for a, uh, a convening on Um, gonococcal vaccines, um, a whole variety of different institutions and um, including people, you know, actually, you know, very much at the heart of the network as well. Um, So members who've been in from the start, such as Tim Mitchell, member number one, is a fundee. 
so a whole range of different projects. At the end of the day, the success of that funding is going to be whether additional funding is secured. And at the moment, we're in a position where applications are going in, but we're going to be finding out over the coming months whether those have been successful or not. And that's the hope, because you know, if this is then launching vaccines along the pathway, that's going to be um, moving things forward in terms of new bacterial vaccines. And so far, we've got 35 projects funded, and we'll be having a fourth round coming up in the next few months. That's brilliant. And Adam, you were talking about how training was uh, a, a key theme in the initial application. What sort of training opportunities has the network been able to fund for people? So these have been quite broad. Again, the, the, the focus has been on <coughs> delivering unmet needs for an individual to, to, to uh, push either a project along or in some in in some areas their own uh, uh, career, so so these have taken the form of uh, uh, they're valued at up to six k. They usually last at up to three months. You go to a particular uh, laboratory, for instance, that you want to go to, and then you acquire that skill. You take that back, and then you're able to develop, uh, use the technology in in a new context, usually to uh, allow um, uh, progress to continue. So these have the benefit of, of both aiding <coughs> an individual project, but also aiding an individual in terms of their career pathway. And we've funded a, a number of these. They, we haven't funded as many as, uh, in, uh, as we have of the Catalyst projects because of the nature of things, but the whole point has been about capacity building. So these have gone, uh, a, a large uh, proportion of these have gone to people from low middle income countries to, uh, for them to take back new technologies back to their home institution. So we're really, really able to uh, not, not only develop um, new, uh, new projects and, and new ideas through the Catalyst project funding, we're also able to develop new capacity within areas where they're needed, such as in the uh, in sub-Saharan Africa and, and, and such. Brilliant. And I gather the annual meeting is a really important activity for the network. So um, do you want to just talk briefly about how the annual meetings have gone and what's on the horizon? Well, we're coming up to hosting our third annual network meeting, which is going to be in Kenya, an exciting venue. We, the aim of the annual network meetings is to give everybody the opportunity to get together, not only hear talks from experts in their field, but also have lots of opportunities to network because we are a network and we want to let people network and albeit that we have a directory where people can do that we want that you can't be face-to-face -face meetings and the network the annual network meetings give that perfect opportunity um we've our first meeting and second meeting was held in Birmingham. We brought together many people. They were, they were successful meetings from the feedback and from being there. The first annual network meeting in Birmingham was hosted within six months of actually starting um, the network. That was challenging. We brought together there 120 network members um, from all over the world. Um, it was an exciting event. We learned a lot from it, and hopefully everybody that attended learned a lot from it. Um, the next meeting, we brought together 158 people. That was fantastic. Um, again, a very exciting event. 
We're looking for 160 people to be attending our meeting in Kenya. It is a broad um, meeting. We've developed it across four days this time rather than the two-day previous meetings. We've got a whole host of opportunities for our network members to have unique insight into what's what's going on in Kenya and why we're, why we're linking with them. Um, low to middle income countries and what we can offer um, so we're really looking forward to that meeting brilliant and what does the future hold for back to back what's going to happen after kenya so we're into the second half of our four-year funding cycle and uh, and that was more than just a cycle was just the funding that was put up front by medical research council and gcf uh, gcrf we're really looking forward to the future and looking at the sustainability of the network. Uh, we feel in the feedback that we've had from the membership is that uh, back to back has filled a niche which has uh, been very much needed and not um, met, a need that's not met by other similar organisations or networks. Um, and so we really want to keep that network that's taken several years to establish in the first place and a lot of hard work going. Uh, we feel that the... Uh, opportunity to bring different players together from the field of vaccinology uh, into new projects has been incredibly important and, and ultimately that's going to be what is required to drive new vaccines along the pipeline um, to to get vaccines licensed against bacterial diseases that cause so much morbidity and mortality uh, and have those actually uh, actually implemented so we want to sustain that uh, we're looking at the moment about how to sustain and where to uh, uh, where to try and gain that funding from and in addition to keeping that network uh, going um, ideally with those annual meetings which you've just heard about from Susan uh, we really want to be able to keep the catalyst funding going as well uh, Joe has talked about the additional resources that we've brought in and uh, really with the processes that her and Susan, the team, have established, uh, that now has set us up very well to be a conduit for funding to come from organisations such as different departments in UK government uh, to allow spending on very worthwhile projects uh, in a very organised and, and regulated way and then we really want to be a voice for bacterial vaccines in the whole vaccine landscape uh, where so much of the noise is created by outbreak pathogens certainly at the moment with COVID-19 but also Ebola and the other emerging pathogens because it's so important for global health that the need of the network uh, the need for vaccines against bacterial diseases which have such a high level of attrition is not forgotten. I think the, just to add to what Cal has said is that there is no plan B for this. There is no uh, alternative way of controlling uh, infectious diseases in a way that you don't have to experience the negative aspects of disease other than through vaccination. If vaccines work in the most vulnerable groups across our population. They, they uh, prevent the, the random harm that bacterial infections do, where you can just be minding your own business one day and the next thing is that you're uh, suffering terribly from an infectious disease. We can see this in historic terms, in terms of diseases which were uh, uh, such a, <coughs> an enormous problem to, to our grandparents are now no longer an issue. Diphtheria is largely gone. Haemophilus influenzae B is, is, a, is, a, is a great example of success in, in, in our own generation. And uh, what we can do 
is uh, by pushing along vaccines is help to protect vulnerable uh, groups in society, those who have other complications such as diabetes or kidney disease, those who are elderly or those who are very young. Nothing can contribute more than bacterial vaccines to uh, helping uh, uh, these these vulnerable groups, and they're also an absolutely vital strategy in the in the fight to allow us to continue to use our um, antibiotics for a, a range of infectious diseases and in, in prophylactic cir- uh, circumstances such as surgery. Okay, that's a, a wonderful end um, to wrap up this podcast. So ca- thank you very much to Cal, Adam, Joe and Susan. And thank you to our listeners. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and do check out our other releases.